Listening Dog Media. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan, and a Liverpool fan. Hello, thank you very much for downloading and listening to this episode 27 of the Offside Rule We Get It podcast. It's myself, Lindsay Hooper, joined again by Kate Borsay, but we have another guest presenter this week because Hayley McQueen, she was sunning herself in Thailand, very busy this week, so we've drafted in someone else. And some exceptional circumstances. I think our guest this week, Kate, might have travelled quite far. Yes, and I'm surprised she hasn't come in wearing some traditional clothing of the country that she's come from. Or bought me some dolls that will go and stack inside of each other. I love those. (laughs) They're great fun. Um, Because you've travelled around how many miles? Oh, it's probably at least a couple of thousand miles via Gatwick, though. So, and uh, of course, Conditer and Cook around the corner. Oh, the cakes! The cakes! I had to have the cake on the way back. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, That means uh, people are starting to piece this together. Um, Let's just pretend it's all for the Offside Rule podcast to come and debut with us (laughs) and and do your main show. But you're not uh, a voice that people won't recognise. They actually will remember you because last year you were the Russian correspondent for us, doing a Russian update, and you do a blog on everything Russia as well, and that's where you live. Um, But this year you do everything Bundesliga. So you're our Bundesliga expert, Kate Partridge. Welcome to the podcast. But this is your debut doing all of the chatty stuff. Yes, thank you for having me, girls. I'm a bit nervous, actually, but I'm probably a bit glad that Sochi's now over and it's time to go back to the football with the winter break soon to be over. So this is what's coming up on this week's Offside Rule podcast. Uh, Topic two, we're going to be talking getting to know Euro 2016. Um, We had the draw happen and uh, they've extended it as well. So hopefully more home nations will be involved. We'll see whether that happens. Um, So we're going to ask from both of you five things that people might not actually know about Euro 2016. Some little facts. Um, I've also done my research too. And then in topic three, we'll have Wunderbar. We couldn't have you coming in being our German correspondent, Kate, and not having some a German theme. So what we're going to do is ask you to pick out two players that are playing in Bundesliga. You should be well ahead on this one. At least I hope so. <laughs> I think you will be. Um, so two, two players that are lighting up Bundesliga that could potentially be lighting up the World Cup this summer and potentially 
could see actually get a move in the future to the Premier League. That's what I'm after. Um, so we're basically picking your footballing brain on all things Germany, to be honest. But we'll start with topic one, which is not a dry eye on the pitch. Uh, this is all off the back of Norwich Chief Executive David McNally. He was reduced to tears, wasn't he, after witnessing Chris Hewton uh, guide his side to a 1-0 victory over Spurs in the Premier League. Lots of speculation that Chris Hewton would lose his job if he lost that game. Of course, emotions were high. Um, it did really get you, didn't it? It got you there. It must take a lot, mustn't it, to watch a Norwich game and be reduced to tears at the end. But normally they're tears for the other reason, not for the joyous reason. So congratulations for him for managing to squeeze a tear out at that euphoric win against Spurs. But not much makes me cry, I have to say. And I'm not a massively teary, emotional person. Although the odd thing catches me and you'll find out what that is in a minute. I have to say, I've cried in Norwich because it took me sort of six hours to get there when I had to go do a press conference once. That made me cry. Um, let's talk about uh, a couple of examples then where you've been reduced to tears. Now, this might be a personal example from either of you or it can be something from the world of football. Um, both of mine are really recent examples, actually. So let's talk about emotions getting out of control. And as Hayley McQueen's not here, we'll start with you, Kate Borsay. Well, I've got one that's pretty obvious whenever you mention tears and football and I'll ask Kate to expand on it but all I'm going to say is uh, Gaza and Italia 90 because that you know that that's the first thing you think of and as a young <coughs> year old you know <laughs> I was at, I was at the right age to be sort of affected by that and it wasn't just the fact that obviously it was on the TV it was the fact that it was on news round showing showing my age it was on news round it was across lots and lots of programs and it, it, it did just get you there um for me personally the Champions League final of 2005 was always going to reduce me to tears, wasn't it? Because it was such an emotional build-up from being completely out of it, 3-0 down at half-time, to then Gerard getting that goal, but not really celebrating purposefully, uh, trying to set about the task of trying to bring things back level, which, of course, they did, and then uh, going into um, extra time as well. And, you know, even up to the point where, you know, Dudek makes those brilliant saves, both teams about to drop with exhaustion. It, it was just the high drama of that that sort of had me all welled up and I remember uh, watching it I was working at TalkSport at the time and I watched it close to TalkSport and Ray Houghton happened to be in the studio at TalkSport and we came back um, just as it had all been decided and I just literally ran round the office you know just just you know just in, in utter amazement about we, Liverpool have actually won another European all the odds were against us and we did it so for the high drama and the emotional journey that one definitely got me um I've got a French friend, okay? Now, if you're French... Zutalor. Yes, Zutalor, indeed. If you're French, the worst situation that can ever really be thrust upon you is to be in a World Cup final against Italy because the French and the Italians hate each other. I mean, of all the teams to be up against each other. So we know this is going to be high stakes. It takes a headbutt for it all to spill over, (laughs) doesn't it? You know that I love Zidane. He's like my favourite player ever. And this moment, this choked me at the time, actually. I shouldn't laugh, but my friend was so incensed by this. I mean, of all the things to happen, French hero Zidane is reduced to headbutting Matarazzi. And whether it was something to do with what Matarazzi said about his mother or sister or sister, sister, whatever, it was just the fact that their hero had been reduced. It wasn't anything about Zidane. It was that he'd been reduced to taking that kind of resort. And uh, she was so incensed, so incensed that she shed a tear or two. So I had to mention that. Uh, Another one for me personally when Fabrice Mwamba went back to the Reebok um, after suffering his cardiac arrest there and he walked onto the middle of the pitch and he started crying and you know I I think it really dawned on him at that point 
how close he'd come to death. And it's the reality. It's the it's the mortality check, isn't it, I suppose? Basically, we're all blubbers because everything you've mentioned so far, I think I've blubbed at as well. Um, and of course, being a Wolves fan, by the way, um, you have to separate myself and Kate Partridge. There's a massive <laughs> divide here. We're both from the black country and, yeah, I'm Wolves fan and Kate Partridge supports. And on that note, it's all about West Bromwich Albion. <laughs> Is that where you're going to come in? Um, I was going to say, I've cried many times over Wolves, but I'm not going to bring up any of those examples for this. I don't really cry because I come from one of those stiff upper lip families as well, apart from the fact that my mother led the pitch invasion when we actually got promoted after 16 years in the, in the second <laughs> tier. Tell me that. Which was an incredible story. For I kept apologising all the way through the match every time I was swearing and going insane, kept going, yeah, uh, sorry, mother, sorry, mother. And then right at the end on the final whistle, it ran, mum, where she got, she's off and she'd gone. All four foot 11 of her had bombed away across to the Hawthorns and was leading the pitch invasion. So <laughs> clearly I get it from somewhere. So it it's, absolutely has to be genetic. Well, in terms of being a West Brom fan, there are probably three things that you can certainly cry about, but for different reasons, as, as you probably know this, Linz. The first one is in 1991 when West Brom went down to the third tier for the first time in their history. Only It was the third team. There were three of us left. I think at that point, four of us left. Of course, our Arsenal and Everton still haven't done it since. Went down to the 30. It was a dark day, and particularly a dark day in Coesley, which was where I was, which you know well, Linz. We just sat there in my friend's living room. Her dad went, well, that's that. The world had ended. It was dreadful. It was like a bereavement. I'll never forget it. But happy times. Promotion 2002 against Crystal Palace. As I said, mother leads the pitch invasion. How good is that? I even bought a baggy bird. I've still got it. The original baggy what's bird. sitting on the bed. A mascot. The bird? A oh, mascot. Yeah. I've got a mini mascot. I've I tried to block everything West Brom out my brain. Oh, exactly. But this is why I'm getting my opportunity. I've waited weeks for this opportunity and now I'm just redressing the balance. So my baggy bird still sits there on my bed at home, the, the lovely bird that is to remind me of that amazing day. But there's no finer day in West Bromwich Albion's history than the Great Escape of 2005. I also was working and managed to keep a very professional, stiff upper lip and firm fingers of typing doing 147 characters per set, all the rest of it. Managed to get everything out. We'd started the day rock bottom. Rock bottom. The odds of us staying up. Bottom of Christmas. All these terrible things. We were due to go down. We were lower than the, than the bottom of the football coupon. It was dreadful. Then suddenly we're playing Portsmouth. We go 1-0 up. Jeff Horsfield. Good grief. The baggies go mental. The Hawthorns is on fire. Then Kieran Richardson. 2-0. Oh my God, we might actually do it. And then we're waiting on other people. Of course, Charlton are playing and Norwich, Crystal Palace, Southampton, all these teams. You think, oh, what the hell can happen? What can happen to us? And then Jonathan Fortune equalises for Charlton. Crystal Palace are down. Norwich are down. Southampton are down. The Portsmouth fans, whom we're playing, go absolutely crazy. We go crazy too. Cue another pitch invasion and West Brom had defied the odds and even I, I think, shed a tear <laughs> after sending all the text messages and things that I was paid to do if any of my former employers are listening. Thank you very much. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, they were all West Brom related. I'm not going to even bring up wolves in this. I love the fact that the first thing that she comes in with is the fact that they're relegated to the third tier for the first time and I thought, oh God, I wonder who that's happened to recently. <laughs> Kate Borsay, forget putting your... I didn't your... say anything. I didn't say I anything. Um, I'm going to start with a Brazilian. Um, and it's a player called Hernanes. Now, Hernanes was playing at Lazio. <laughs> it sounds like something you pick up, a tropical disease in South America. That's why she said, I'm starting with a Brazilian. I thought, ooh, that's... Uh... <laughs> Getting ready then. Very good. <laughs> well, um, Hernanis plays for Lazio, or did, um, and loved playing for Lazio and evidently loved the fans. And in Italian media, it's not so different to us 
here in the UK. You know the moment on Sky Sports News when Harry Redknapp winds down his window or any reporter is doorstepping, they wind down their car window. This happens in Italy too. So the media are on the doorstep along with lots of fans who are greeting Hanani's as he leaves the training ground for the final time. Now I don't know whether the fans are aware it's the final time but he winds down his window and they start asking for pictures. And he starts and he's smiling but he look, he looks slightly sad but he has a few pictures taken and then his mood completely changes it's as if it suddenly dawns on him I'm never going to be back at this club and he starts crying in this video you have to watch it, it but the fact of the matter is I didn't know whether it was crocodile tears to begin with because I've never seen a man cry like this Ooh. it's interesting like- <laughs> yes that is exactly what it's like a true blob a real blob yeah do that again I spent a year at drama school perfecting that come on go on what, give us your money's worth your mum and dad paid a lot for that degree <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can't see this as it's radio. Those were real tears by Kate Borsay. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Brilliant. Well, he was moving. He joined into Milan. Um, this video went viral around Italy. Um, and I, I just felt really sorry for him as this video is going on and on. The cameraman or woman is obviously not bothered about giving a tissue or any <laughs> any sentiment. Just thinks, I'll get, I'll make the most of it. So that was a brilliant one. I'll make sure that we get the video up and we'll, we'll tweet it out. And the, the other one is um, a little bit of a myth to put right, I think. And this happened quite recently. And it's another Italian footballer now, but a man that we love here on the Offside Rule podcast. It's Mario Balotelli. Now, mm-hmm. remember quite recently, he was caught crying on the substitutes bench. And everybody, um, sort of this Twitter rumour spread uh, that it was because of racist remarks. And if you read Italian media, there apparently is no truth in that whatsoever. Um, what had happened was there were quite a few things that had happened to Balotelli in quick succession in his personal life and on the pitch. He'd just missed an open goal. So I think he was upset about that. But also he'd been in a real bitter legal battle to do with his ex-girlfriend and getting DNA tests. That wasn't funny, was it? (laughs) Stop it. This is really serious stuff. I knew you'd have to mention the name. No, it's fine, Kate. We'll go on. The little girl's called Pia. and, And he didn't know whether she was his or not. So apparently he's found out at this point that this little girl is his and he wanted to score a goal so that he could celebrate the goal and dedicate Aww. it to his daughter. Um, he's quite an emotional fellow, is Mario Bellatelli. He cries quite a lot. <laughs> and finally, before we move on to topic number two, a quick word on Gaza, because you were promised to have your word on this. I don't think you have yet. This is Kate Partridge, by the way. I've got the two Kates with me today. Yeah, we can't talk about football on the crying game without mentioning Gaza and Italian 90. England against Germany, it's the semi-final. And then Gaza picks up an unfortunate yellow card, which means he would miss any final. He starts to cry. Gary Lineker starts to look after him. It's all going badly. And then England get knocked out on penalties. And then everybody starts crying. And that starts a, that starts a sort of series of penalty shootout losses, which goes on ad infinitum. But in terms of penalties, Roy Hodgson apparently has the answer for that. We're going to get a psychologist in. So while Gaza dealt with his pain by having crisp adverts with Salt and Lineker, and Viz had the crying Gaza doll and the cut out and keep Gaza special, the best way to deal with it is get some good old fashioned therapy. Hi, I'm Paul Merson and you're listening to the Offside Rule Podcast.
Topic number two for us is getting to know the Euros. This is quite quick fire for us. We're looking towards 2016, past the World Cup for the very first time, myself and Kate and this Kate. Can't really see past this summer, but we're going to try for a few minutes. I want five things that people might not already know about Euro 2016. I'm going to pass this round. Let's all interject, starting with Kate Borset. Oh, I am honoured. Thank you. This is a fact that I didn't know about, actually. For political reasons, Azerbaijan and Armenia are going to be kept apart in the draw, as well as Spain and Gibraltar. But this time rounds for Euro 2016 in the draw, Russia and Georgia are able to play in the same group, um, having been kept apart for Euro 2012. So when politics does actually interrupt matters on the pitch. Yes, and we can take that a stage further because with Spain and Gibraltar, they actually were picked in the same group and they had to get moved. So that actually had to happen. Um, There is political tensions there, of course. So that was one that I'd got on my list. Kate Partridge? Well, that's quite interesting you say about political tensions because if you go to Group I where France are playing but not actually getting any points for playing, you have Serbia and also Albania. So they haven't kept those teams apart politically, but as you said, they have done with other teams. Another fact about Gibraltar, whilst we were talking about them, um, their main stadium is a 5,000 capacity stadium called Victoria Stadium, if you know that. But it doesn't meet UEFA's requirements to be able to host competitive international fixtures. So they have to play their European qualifiers at the Estadio Algarve in Portugal. I'll take on with the Gibraltar team, actually. They are the newest football team or the newest football nation in terms of UEFA. They've only been a UEFA-affiliated team since 2013, 300 years after the Treaty of Utrecht, which made them a British overseas territory. And also... They will be playing Germany, who are the most successful team in Euros history. On that note, Spain are back-to-back winners of the Euros. There's never been back-to-back winners before. If they win this tournament, that will not only break the record books again by having uh, three wins in a row, three tournament wins in a row, but they will also usurp Germany as the most successful European championship team. Well, I'm going to actually pitch in here with the minnows because we've got so many of the home nations that are included this year and lots of other um, nations like Luxembourg and um, Malta, they're, they're all in there, but they've got quite stiff opposition. So, for instance, Luxembourg, they face the likes of Ukraine and Spain. They're not going to get past them. Malta, they're facing Italy and Croatia. They're not going to get past them. Let's just be realistic. So the minnows to go for in Euro 2016 are Moldova or Liechtenstein because they're in the same group, which means one of them has to get some points. That's the way it should work. I'm going to have a look at some of the managers and in terms of their relative ages. Fabio Capello, the Russian manager, is going to be 68 on June the 18th, which means by the time he gets to be the manager of Russia at Euro 2016, he will be 70. While as Roy Hodgson, the England manager, if he's there, will be 69. So older gentleman there. And I'm Roy Hodgson. Do you know how many languages he speaks? Is it four? He speaks five languages fluently and three languages as he says he can get by in. And we actually cut a press conference of him the other day speaking French, which is one of his worst languages. So we thought that the Euros were actually geared towards being able to have Roy at every single press conference so he can translate for everybody else. And isn't it brilliant that he's going to go up against Switzerland, who he managed uh, being in the same group? Final one that I'm going to mention for all of our Welsh listeners. Um, uh, Wales haven't reached a major tournament since the 1958 World Cup in Sweden. But the expansion of the Euro finals from 16 to 24 teams has really increased their chances of making it. I'm really hoping they appear in France with Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. You want to see them, don't you, at Euro 2016? Um, my last fact, the last time that France hosted the Euros in 1984, they won it. Mm. 
Mm. And might I give a quick plug for our website here? Uh, there's some fantastic things going on on our website, by the way, folks. OffsideRulePodcast.com. Not only have we just launched the Offside Daily, which gives you 10 news lines a day, gets you right up to date with the popular news lines, but also a few slightly alternative news lines, all connected to football. That comes up between five and six every day. The Offside Yap is our new debate feature, and you must jump onto the website, folks, and, and add your comments to it. Now, the debate this week is that now there are 24 teams uh, at the qualifying stage for Euro 2016. Have Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland got a better chance of qualifying? Yes or no? Put your argument up on the website. Have a look at the blogs and features as well. There's a great under-21 feature there from Andrew Papadopoulos who um, has written a lot about uh, whether it's important to have um, a solid under-21 team. Lots of new content, so go to offsiderallpodcast.com and we're not ignoring our old content ideas either. No, no, no. Here's Sean Thorne with Twitter Topic of the Week. Twitter Topic of the Week. All right, everyone. Long time no speak. It's Sean here with Twitter Topic of the Week. Now, Mandy Henry tweeted a really interesting article the other day on whatever happened to Roy Carroll post-Manchester United. And it turns out he's having a lovely time at Olympiacos. And well, he probably had a very lovely time on Tuesday evening as well. So this week, we've asked you guys to give us some strange transfers, strange post-football occupations and some forgotten names as well. I just make just telling us what are the stars of days gone by up to now. Now, Magnus Forsberg's favourite is a classic former Tottenham player, John Chidozi, who now sells Bouncy Castles. Ideal. Joel Taggart's gone for Philip Murrellrine, who's ex-Manchester United and Norwich, who's now training to be a priest. Natasha's shout is Pascal Chimbonda and says that he's either non-league or Sunday league now. You know, we were just discussing this the other day. Ha! Well, Natasha... I think the fans of League One Carl United would slightly object to that because he's joined up with his former Wigan teammate, Graham Kavanagh, at Brunton Park. So not quite non-league, but, you know, not, not quite as big time as some of the clubs he's been at before. Um, Tom S, he's given us an absolute belter here. I love this one. Wigan and Pompey centre-half Iron Dezeu, who has a medical degree, who's now a forensic detective in Holland. I'm not sure many footballers have... Uh, Ended up in forensic science. Get him in the new series of Silent Witness, I reckon. Chris Dixon has gone for former Manchester United goalkeeper Fabian Bartes, who's now a successful motor racing driver in the French GT series. I mean, you say successful. He's the current France GT Motorsport Series champion. Generally thought that that was some sort of April Fool joke when I saw that in the newspaper, but fair play to him. Uh, my favourite ones are like the guys who used to be quality on Football Manager like years ago, but have just disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, like DC United's Freddie Adu and uh, Florence Cinemal Pongale. What's he up to? Sam Dalabona and Lenny Pidgeley off of Chelsea. If you know what any of those lot are getting up to, give us a tweet at Offside Rule Pod. So big thanks to everyone who got involved this week. I'm Sean Fawn and I will pass you back to the girls. Thank you very much for that, Sean. A popular topic this week, and we'll have another Twitter topic of the week launched on Sunday, Monday. So keep an eye out for that on at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter. Um, our third topic is all in honour of our guest for this week, who is our Bundesliga expert for the Offside Rule podcast, usually, but stepping into Hayley McQueen's shoes this week. So we've called it Wunderbar. I love the name. Ask us like Ned. Um, we joined, we're joined by you, so we thought it would be fitting to have a German themed topic. I'm asking you to look at Bundesliga, pick out two players 
players each who you think will light up the World Cup this summer mm-hmm. and could fit into the Premier League if required for a summer transfer, maybe. Mm. Uh, just two choices and justify your reasons. And of course, neither of you can go for Iron Robin. It goes that saying. <laughs> um, basically, being shortlisted for the Ballon d'Or rules him out. We know that he would be great. Um, starting with our guest for this week, Kate Pottridge. Right, I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Bayern Munich, who is uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger. And uh, he's actually been out injured quite recently. He has ankle trouble. Now, the reason I've gone for him is because this is the world coming up, because he's 29 years old, soon to be 30, uh, and because he's also been effectively a bit of a forgotten man under Pep Guardiola. When Jupp Henkes was the manager, he called Schweinsteiger the best midfielder in the world. He called him the midfield motor. He was the best player in Germany. He won stacks of awards. He was put forward for the Ballon d'Or. He's got 100 Germany caps, 23 goals for Germany, six Bundesliga titles, six cups, Champions League, you name it, he's won. He's the vice-captain to Philipp Lahm. But with Guardiola coming in and Schweinsteiger having his injuries, he's effectively sort of taken a bit of a back step in, in the change in formation, going from 4-2-3-1 to 4-1-4-1. And with Philip Lahm stepping up and into that kind of pivotal role, he's effectively, yeah, taken a bit of a back step. And with recent links to Manchester United and, of course, with the issues that they, the well-documented um, problems that they've had and also in light of the fact with all the Champions League the, the, uh, the other evening, um, there is a definite link. It's, it's an obvious link. It's an obvious timing. And also, what better way to showcase your talents than obviously on a global stage when you have the World Cup? And also, as I said, he's now coming back to form. He's now coming back to fitness. Mm-hmm. Now is a perfect opportunity for him. And I'm going to interject there because the play- one of the players that I've chosen, Manchester United, have also been courting him. And he will, I imagine, make his debut in the senior Germany side this World Cup. I think he'll get the nod because that's how well he's playing. And the player that I'm talking about is Kevin Volland. Um, now, Kevin, he's made the headlines for a number of reasons. And by the way, it's not just Manchester United that are after this 21-year-old. It's also German teams as well. Borussia Dortmund really want him. He's at Hoffenheim at the moment. Um, he's had an absolutely brilliant 2013 and he's taking in that form into this year as well. Um, he's a very versatile forward. He tends to play on the wing, to be honest. Um, and his value is that he's just got electric pace. He can get past people um, and he scores goals. He's played for Germany at pretty much all age levels. So most recently at under-21s. That's why I think he'll make the step up this summer. I'm not saying he'll start, but I think he'll appear. He's rated at around £12 million. He's under contract till 2017. um, But I imagine he will be leaving Bundesliga at some point, um, I hope, to join the Premier League. I'm going to go for Klaus-Jan Huntelaar. Um, he's 30, so he's not the youngest, but he kind of has failed to make the grade at the World Cup 2010 and at Euro 2012. He's got he's got the ability to really go and do something. With a lot of these players, it does depend on the competition around them for places. But I do fancy this guy, I have to say, for doing something significant at the World Cup. Um, he's Dutch, of course, plays for Schalke at the moment. Um, his scoring record is sensational. Not so much last season, but the season before, he was absolutely fantastic. Scored 29 goals in 32 appearances. He was linked with Arsenal last year um, and boy, they could have done with him, couldn't they, if they'd have pulled the finger up. But he, but he chose to sign for to re-sign um, for Schalke instead. Um, he 
had slightly disastrous periods, really, at Real Madrid and at AC Milan. Never really found himself, but is doing fantastic things at Schalke. He's just come back, came back mid-January from a knee injury. Already he's scored four goals in seven Bundesliga games. This guy cannot help but score. Um, in terms of where he's lethal, in the penalty area, if you're in that situation and he's in your penalty area, you know he's going to score pretty much nine times out of ten. Um, rated highly by Netherlands coach Louis van Gaal as well. Um, he tends to come on for Robin van Persie so if Robin van Persie finds his form still a little sticky when we get to the World Cup or there needs to be another alternative for Robin van Persie look no further than Klaus Jan Huntelaar Uh, Kate back to you Uh, I'm going to look at a player that is actually probably slightly if not certainly unknown then certainly isn't perhaps an unusual choice and I'm going for Adrian Ramos he's actually Colombian he's 28 and he's actually topping the scoring charts at the moment with 14 goals in the Bundesliga and he plays for Hertha Berlin who are currently 7th and chasing European football now the reason to pick on Adrian Ramos as much as the fact that he's a surprise top scorer in the fact that he probably has more goals now than he's done over the past four seasons particularly up and down as her to Berlin have been. It's also because being Colombian with Radamel Falcao being out injured, he has an outside chance of playing for Colombia at the World Cup. Now, Falcao picked up a bizarre injury playing in the 3-0 victory in the French Cup game at Chasselet, which was a fourth tier and, as I said, had a crucial ligament injury. And by doing that, that de- denied and deprived Colombia of a guy who'd scored nine goals in qualifying. He's already got nine goals in 17 appearances for Monaco. And suddenly that puts Adrian Ramos's achievement this season back on the line. There are a few players that could come in and, and take his place. You have Gutierrez, Martinez. But he has an outside shot of being there for Colombia at the World Cup. Could he be in the Premier League? Well, there's a few there that need a striker. They're my dark horses, Colombia, mm-hmm. for the entire World Cup. Um, I'm going to go for a Brazilian to end. We'll go with the home <laughs> home nation, the host for, uh, for the whole World Cup. Um, Dante. I think that he's won, he's gone, He's my older choice, I guess, but it's no coincidence that since Dante's arrival, Bayern Munich have been immense in defence. I'm rhyming. <laughs> he is just so brilliant. So it's no, there's no coincidence that Manuel Neuer has so little to do in the Bayern goal. I think part of that is down to Dante. Manchester United, again, have been linked with a move with Dante. Uh, apparently a real transfer target for this summer and I imagine um, at the World Cup he he could really get the host a long way I'm imagining Brazil will get to the semi-finals at least um, if not win the whole thing so Dante is one to watch and one that I would love to see arrive in the Premier League so that's mine Uh, we've got one more from Kate for my last one again it's competition for places here but it's another Bayern Munich player that I'm going to mention attacking midfielder Tony Cruz or or as the Germans like to call him Cruz (laughs) good bit of glottal action there Uh, he's already got 41 caps in the senior German side. He's 24. He made a few substitute appearances for the national side at the last World Cup. Really established himself as a regular in the side at 2012. A really good attacking option for Germany uh, at the tournament and uh, known for setting up goals incredibly well as well. Um, like all of these German players that, that we've mentioned, technically very, very strong. He comes from that breed of players at that particular age, in that particular time, that are trained technically well. Marco Royce, Mario Goetze, Masut Ötzel, you know, we've talked about all the competition for those places but for me Tony Cruz very exciting a very good option it may though depend on one of the other options being injured or not being there we are now going to leave all things German and Bundesliga and we had a a sort of an Italian theme earlier we're going to revisit that because Mina has got her roundup of all things Serie A for us 
Hello and welcome to another Serie A roundup with me, Mina Rizuki. And what a busy weekend it was. We saw the Turin derby where Juventus hosted Torino. And for the second time in a row, Juve won 1-0 in controversial circumstances. Whilst the Italian champions sealed the points with an offside goal in the reverse fixture, this time around the referee failed to spot Pirlo clipping Torino's Omar al Kadori in the box. This should have led to a penalty. The visitors fumed that Juve's 12th man was in fact the referee on the pitch as opposed to the dedicated fans in the stands. But it was hard for the ref to buy into al Kadori's theatrical performance. Perhaps if he fell more naturally, then a penalty would have been considered. Speaking of rivals, Inter have gone back to their suffering ways. Just as we thought they were coming out of their dark moment by managing two wins in a row, they ruined it with a draw at home against Cagliari. Their coach, Walter Mazzari, back to being scrutinized, was livid, wondering why on earth his team weren't given a penalty. Whilst one has to acknowledge they've been a bit unlucky this season, their performances have to improve. Even their president sat yawning in the stands as he watched his team play their predictable brand of football with little passion and a lot of confusion. At least their city rivals have begun to impress under Clarence Seedorf. Coming off a good performance against Atletico Madrid midweek, they are looking more of a team unit that can both control and create. As for Adel Tarapt, well, he's proving to be quite the buy, as not only did he manage his second goal in the Rossoneri jersey, but he's out there sacrificing himself on the defensive front too. Poor Napoli. Not even their yellow jersey, dubbed Yellow Power, managed to earn them a win at home, with their own player sent out on loan, managing the 84th minute equaliser. That's all for now. Hope you enjoyed. Ciao. Thank you very much, Mina. And that about wraps everything up for episode 27 of the Offside Rule podcast. I will thank Kate Partridge for her services. Thank you very much, girls. I've had a great time. And she will be back with her Bundesliga roundup very soon. I know, honestly, it's like pluggity plug plug here. Kate Borsay <laughs> is going to want to give another mention. Will it have anything to do with OffsideRulePodcast.com by any chance? Which is my baby and which is going fantastically well. We're getting a new blog or feature up every single day. There are a whole host of very talented writers on it. Just a few quick ones to mention here. Um, we've got um, a lovely article by John Howell on who's going to win the Premier League. Every week we're going to be looking at the top four and uh, who might be fighting for which position and how the competition's looking for a top four place. Um, there's also a fantastic piece which should be up by the time this comes out about Roy Hodgson enlisting the help of Sir Dave Brailsford. It's very, very funny. So watch out for that. OffsideRulePodcast.com. I think that's about it. Just give us a follow as well on Twitter if you don't mind at OffsideRulePod and we'll be back next week. Download us every Thursday. Bye for now. The female take on football.